Hello and welcome to Marketing Connected. I'm your host, Rizwana Manjur. Following the success of our Survival Instinct series, we're now launching a brand new initiative titled Life After Advertising. Life After Advertising was created amidst the global COVID-19 pandemic, which saw many ad professionals having to leave the industry and hit restart on their professional careers. Over the next few weeks, we will speak to some of the most iconic individuals in Adland who have now shifted gears and we'll find out how they've redirected their careers. This week, we speak to Linda Locke, who was previously Chief Executive and Creative Director of Sachi & Sachi Advertising. She also served as Chairman and Regional Creative Director of Leo Burnett Advertising. After 30 years in the advertising business, Linda started her own consultancy and has also held several key positions at Club 21, a luxury fashion distributor. She's now in the midst of fulfilling her lifelong desire of becoming a children's book author. Let's hear from Linda. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us on this session of Life After Advertising. You've had an illustrious career holding many high-ranking posts, and the last one was in the ad world, being Regional Creative Director at Leo Burnett, after which you transitioned onto the marketing role with Club 21. So tell us a little bit about when you left the industry and how you decided it was time. I left the industry in 2006 when the powers that be in Chicago decided that they wanted to reorganize the world along what was then the buzzword at the time, the brick market. So they decided to remove all the regional roles and my role at the time was regional creative director, barring finance, what a surprise, HR as I remember, yes, that's right. So marketing disappeared, um, HR disappeared, creative disappeared, strategy disappeared, and sort of alternate market digital servicing disappeared as well. So they were literally left with the finance people, the HR people, and the managing director, essentially. That was it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was offered um, another position as a, a Southeast Asia creative director to be done, I think it was two to three times a week, uh, where they would have me based out of Thailand for like maybe a Thursday, Friday into a Monday kind of thing, you know, just based around that so that I could travel back home and come back in again. I felt like it was the universe saying, you know what, if they don't think all these things are really important, then maybe it's time for you to go, um, which frankly, I had been mulling over doing for some time anyway so in a way it helped me because it just made up my mind for me mm. so I thought then I would leave <clears throat> and essentially I thought I could retire um, but I ended up being given the role of coordinator manager marketer for the second engage conference so I kind of carried on working into 2007 but as a consultant really um, and I finished late that year, and the conference was a fantastic success. We had great turnout. We had very good attendance. And um, I think in some ways it was better than the first because we learned a lot from the first. 
Mm. Um, then I parted company and thought, great, now I can retire. And then 2008 happened. We were in kind of a global recession, if you remember. Yep. And I thought, oh dear, why do I always pick the wrong time to do things? Difficult to get work, I thought, in that situation as a consultant. But I was still doing some. Um, and then I got offered an opportunity to meet Christina Ong of Club 21, mm-hmm. who was looking for somebody to actually, for a short time it was meant to be, uh, fill a void so that she could replace a marketing director but feel that the ship was in, in, in safe, safe hands. Uh, and so I went to meet her and I liked her very much. And that's basically how it started. It was supposed to be about a two to three month role, but somehow we just carried on. We, we got on very well. We worked very well together. I enjoyed it. I was learning a lot of new things, which I always liked doing and um, kind of lasted eight years. So since then, what have you been up to? So they, I did that until about 2015, where after two years of being put in charge of online marketing of the Club 21 site, as well as the organic supermarket, Supernature, I actually decided I had to go because my workload was ferocious. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm capable of handling a heck of a lot of work. So when I say it was ferocious, <laughs> it really was. I decided to take a break and then started getting very heavily involved in a more personal story, which is to do with my great-grand-aunt who created Singapore's national flower, the Vandermis Joy Kim Orchid. What had happened was that I had had a family visit and we had gone to the Botanic Gardens and I'd seen a poster, which to my shock and horror, suggested that she had not created it, but had rather discovered it in her garden. Mm-hmm. So that actually set me off trying to argue the case uh, with various scientists, as well as with the various government entities. And I had to learn a great deal about growing orchids, because I knew nothing at all, to be honest. <laughs> and I learned how to use the internet to do research. And I worked with two co-authors of a book who had done t- huge amount of, of research themselves in the creation of the book. They spent 10 years researching the book, uh, the material for the book, I should say. And I realized at the end of the day that the only way I could think to get through to everybody was to go back to all the source material and create a chronology that would demonstrate that for almost 80 years or more, all the scientists of the day, all the orchid experts of the day, had never ever questioned the truth that she had created this orchid. And it was only in the late 70s where things basically took on a life of their own and a completely different story started coming out and went on and on into various other stories, um, all of which were not true. Desperate to think how to stop this coming off the rails again, was talking to a girlfriend who said, why don't you write a children's book? And I said, what? And she said, children's book. And I said, oh, I've always wanted to try and write a book. I've got ideas for children's books. Maybe this is a good place to start. And I reached out to a, an author that I knew mm-hmm. and asked if he would co-author with me and give me some guidance. 
And so we did the book together. And I got very lucky as well because Epigram Books, my publisher, have a series called Prominent Singaporeans. And when I reached out to Edmund, the, the publisher, he was thrilled with the idea and said it was a perfect fit for his series. And then I went all out to market it and use whatever I knew from marketing, obviously, to market the book, which I have to say marketing picture books for children is extremely difficult um, mm. and challenging. And, um, but it did very, very well. And I think he told me recently that it's the top seller in his entire series. So that was a thrill. And then that led me on to thinking I would start to write some other books. So I had a series in mind, which uh, called Jack is Curious, which were based on the crazy things my, my son used to say or do or ask me when he was very little. And there are four books in that series. Um, so that's been well received as well. And I've got another book, which I literally was on the phone with my editor with just a few minutes ago, that we are in the process of developing. And I'm hoping with a bit of luck, I get an illustrator that I particularly want. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the working title is There Was a Boy Who Talked Too Much. But that may change, but that's the working title. And I'm writing a new series of books, which are more probably middle, middle year books. Mm. Um, and... Um, they are based on me growing up in Singapore as a young girl, um, a tomboy. So with the books that you're writing post-leaving the marketing world completely, do you feel this was an active choice in the direction you wanted to take with your life or did it just happen quite organically? Again, a little bit of both because I had deliberately kept a book with all these little notes in them from my time that I was raising my son with the idea that maybe one day, because they just struck me as being something that could be turned into stories, maybe I would have the time to do it. So in that way, it was present of me to think about it that long ago. Um, but I think that I may never have got going had it not been for trying to, to, do, to make sure the Agnes story got told to children. Mm. Um, and it gave me confidence and obviously built a relationship with a publisher um, that has allowed me to go on to do the next lot of books and the next lot of books, basically. So coming back to your agency life a little bit, what was it like for you when you had to leave Leo Burnett, where you spent a huge chunk of your career and for over 10 years you were the regional creative director um, what were the kind of emotions that you were going through and, and how did you come out of it? I guess I ask this because uh, given the current economy, there are so many people who are finding themselves in similar spots with uh, companies that they've probably spent their whole lives helping to build up and, and now um, their positions are no longer there or uh, the company is shutting down. So how did you find yourself again and pick yourself up and get on with life after that happened to you? It's a good question, actually. Uh, it was hard. I was so used to working and working 16, 17 hours a day. So suddenly have that disappear left a tremendous vacuum. Um, I felt very angry because to some extent, I felt that if they had replace me it meant that they viewed the job that I'd done was valuable but the fact that they just removed the position entirely Mm. even though I was not alone Mm. so many other sections of the company suddenly the head of you know strategy was brilliant guy 
he's not valuable anymore. His role's not valuable anymore. You know, the head of PR, not valuable anymore. I mean, it went on and on like this. And you suddenly thought fury at the fact that you had spent so much of your life giving something to the company and that the, the powers that be didn't value it. And what for me helped was that the reaction of the creative people and even the management people in the other companies in the region, visceral disappointment, viscerally upset that they'd had something that they valued taken away from them, at least made me feel that that was something that assured me that what I had been doing for something like 10 years of my life Mm. had added value to people and to their lives. And I am still very much in touch with a lot of my ex-creative people around the region because we built such strong relationships, you know. But I, I did learn very quickly that we tend to, especially in advertising, it tends to become so all-consuming. Yeah. You don't have time for anything else. And I would say to those people now who may be in that situation, you know, that you will be surprised at what you can do that now you might have the time to do that you had been, you had a business idea that you'd never had time to get on with it, a story you wanted to write that you hadn't done, you know, or you had illustration skills that could still be used and sold to other people. There are so many things we can all do, you know, that we don't necessarily have the time to do or have the time to even create the opportunities to do them. But now you do. In fact, I've just had a whole conversation with my editor to saying, you know, it is the old saying that when life gives you lemons, you go out and make lemonade. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are ways and things that you can use the adversity and turn it to your advantage. You've just got to have enough confidence in yourself and enough of a energy and the passion to think it all through, find something or make connections with other people who are in the same situation and collaborate together with them something fantastic will come of it. It does not have to be the end of the road. I am absolutely living proof of it. Because mm. if you'd asked me back then, could I have managed I'd end up being in marketing, having to be on the other side of the cash register and learning what it meant to be on that situation and how every penny matters when we'd be so casual about, you know, what do you mean you don't have a quarter of a million dollars to spend on something, you know? And you're like... $2.40, are you out of your mind? You know, you end up having a very different learning and a very different experience and it enriches your life. Uh, and I would never have had the chance to do that. I would probably not have the chance to go on and write these books, you know. So things will come along. You just have to seize them and make something of them. Did it take you a long time to bounce back? Not really. I think I was lucky in the sense that the Engage conference took up so much of my time. Right. When I first left the agency and because I could do something like that, do it really, really well and get fantastic response from it, made me feel good about myself and just felt it was in the end, frankly, their loss, not mine. Is there anything you miss terribly when you look back on your advertising days? I definitely do. Um, and I do actually do some consulting work with uh, Good Stuff, with Pat mm. Law and her team. And um, I miss being with young creative people. I miss the energy exchange. I miss creating um, wonderful ideas and crafting them. I miss making 
film. I missed television. I loved making film. But I kind of got a little bit of that back working with good stuff because I find like I know stuff that they don't and they know stuff that I don't. So I learn from them and they learn from me. Can you tell me a little bit about Godmother Consulting, which you own? Um, I don't really do anything with it anymore. At the time when I, when I first launched Godmother Consulting, honestly, I did it because I needed a company to be able to invoice from to create the Engage conference. So that's kind of what triggered me to do that. I then thought, well, well, maybe I can do a bit of consulting work. And I never really got the chance to get much further than that because I ended up working for Club 21. But I worked for Club 21 as a consultant. So actually, I did do a few other projects for a few other companies alongside um, the Club 21 work, as long as it wasn't something that conflicted with what I was doing for Club 21. And then at the end of that, really, it was eight years plus, as I say, I didn't really want to push too hard on doing consulting work. So um, I I was on two boards. I'm now on one board, and I enjoy doing that kind of work and the, the writing and the books and Doing um, strategic work with good stuff has been more than enough for me now. So very interestingly, you got to double head as a CEO and a creative director, um, both at Saatchi, which is not a role that many have a chance to do. So which side of the business did you enjoy more? I enjoyed both in different ways. But I definitely enjoy, always enjoy being a creative director more. People don't realize how hard the managing director job is. It's a really hard job to do. You know, people's rice balls are for your, under your care. Uh, and it's not just one person. That one person could be looking after four or five people beyond them. And it's a, it's a real responsibility. And Singapore is a very, very tiny market with very small budgets, highly cyclical in the sense that, you know, you might get a big budget one year and then it'll be cut in half the next year and you're, always scrabbling for for new business as one client cleverly put it to me they expect first world standards at third world pricing and even after all this time i suspect that hasn't changed very much i feel that the good part of being the managing director was that it allowed me to make decisions about creative work that weren't necessarily always financially driven. And I think that sometimes you need to make those decisions because it's good for the company as a whole, but a pure managing director might not have made the same decision. So I like the fact I could put my creative hat on and look at it from that perspective and put my business hat on and look at it from that perspective and have all the power to make the final decision. And I actually thought it was a very good thing. And I think it resulted in our agency being a great producer of wonderful work. And we won a lot of new business, both for ourselves as for the region. I think it empowered a lot of people. So I think if you can do it, do it. It's not easy, though, for sure. And you need a really, really good team of people under you that you fully trust. So, Linda, you've told us that you've been famously known as the Dragon Lady. And I guess I've always wanted to ask you this. So this is me just uh, scratching an itch that I've had. Um, Did that ever hurt your feelings? I figured that for some people, because people used it in different ways, right? Some people would use it in a really bitchy sort of way. And other people would use it as somebody they actually looked up to and respected because I wasn't afraid to tell people off or I wasn't afraid to fight the clients on their behalf, you know. So it had a good side and it had a bad side. For the bad side, for the most part, I think that when I look back on that self, 
I was tough. I had to be tough. Um, we went through some really, really bad times. So I was thinking to myself just yesterday when I read that Singapore may even go into a negative seven recession. And I was involved in Singapore when it was in a negative two recession from a plus of 11. So the variance is probably still a seismic, but still, you know, that's a five point difference and that's massive. And I know how incredibly hard it is to go through something like that. What advice do you have for agency leaders who are struggling right now? I think that this is a time where you have the chance to, I hate to say it, but it is a case of the the strong survive, right? Mm. I think you have a chance to rethink your agency structure, to look to who really, really add value to the company and who are just a waste of time. And every company has people who are just coasting it, okay? Mm. Um, And rethink how you can run your businesses with the best people that you have. Um, And also, I would say, I would really work with your people as well, because I think that having been sort of at the bottom, at the top, in the middle, in management structures in the last 30-odd years, I think top people in management underestimate how much their own staff can contribute in terms of ideas that are actually truly valuable, truly practical Mm. and meaningful, and they're not leveraged and used in the right way. Because we all think as managers, it's our job to solve every problem. Mm. And that's nonsense. Mm. Um, I would encourage them to brainstorm with their people and try to think things through and come up with just whole new ways of doing things like, what could we do if we threw everything out and we looked at this as the first day of our lives? What would we do? How would we build it and rethink it? Because we possibly are going to be in this situation, though, God forbid, I hope not, for another, you know, more than a year, perhaps. I always remember, Linda, the first piece of advice that you gave me when I first became editor was get the monkeys off your back. And that was really helpful. And I think it, it resonates with what you're saying. Um, that everyone has a way to find a solution. You just have to give them the opportunity as leaders to do it. So that makes me want to ask you, how do you feel that leadership in the ad world has changed as compared to when you were entrenched in it? I'm not sure it's changed that much, sadly. Mm. I think that, certainly from an advertising point of view, I think that we are, the business is still stuck in a rut. And that's why, and it's hard, it's hard to get out of it because most agencies are part of a network and that's where it's completely different for Pat. Pat is running her own show. Mm. Pat can make the decisions. She can change whatever she wants to change. Uh, and then the buck stops with her entirely. And so that gives her both a lot of responsibility, but also a tremendous amount of freedom. For a lot of um, advertising agencies, they're part of global networks and they are controlled by those networks. And because they also have global clients, those clients basically are so valued across the network that nobody wants to change anything. Nobody wants to take any risk at all. And so we just keep doing the same thing over and over again and complaining about it, right? Mm. They're not willing to actually step out and do something completely different. So the positive thing right now, honestly, is that it's so broken everywhere. This is your one chance as a managing director of an agency if you've got a better way of doing something, this is the one time your boss might actually listen to you. If you've got it, put it out there because, you know, they'll all be looking for good ideas, right? Because nothing will be working right at the moment. 
So anybody's got some smart options, they're going to have a much, much bigger ear to listen to right now. What do you feel has been the biggest evolution in the industry? For me, the, the biggest evolution actually started some time ago, and that was the fracturing of media from within the structure of an agency with the account servicing and the creative and the, the, the planning. Whether it's digital or it's not digital, it's still the same problem is that I just feel that if you don't have the media integrated in, in, in the business, you, you've taken away oh, more than 60, 70% of, of, of the, the most important tools. I mean, I still have this memory of pitching for a very large client and we had to do something for the client that needed knowledge from the media people. Mm. So we went to the media people to say, can you tell us whether we can get X, Y, and Z? And they said, no, we can't tell you anything. We're not working on the pitch. We're not included in the pitch. And I said, I know, but we're part of the same company. And I would like to, you know, make sure this idea is going to work. No, we're not interested. We're on the clock. We're on the clock. We can't do it. We can't, we can't earn revenue. We can't help you. So I then went to the actual media agency of the client. And I said, can you help us? We just need to know this information. Oh, no, no, we can't do this for you because it wouldn't be fair on the other agencies. I said, I'll tell you what. If the other agencies ask you the same questions, feel free to tell them. But could you please give me this information? No, 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 we can't do it. And I sat there thinking, who's the loser here? The client's the loser. Yeah. I could put up an idea and I really don't know if it's going to work properly because I don't have that vital piece of information. Yeah. So that for me was the biggest, stupidest moment in the communications industry entirely driven by publicly listed companies trying to figure out more ways to make money. So last question, Linda, if we had to drag you out of retirement now, would you do it? No, I'm trying to learn something I've never done for 30 years, which is to try and learn to enjoy my life a bit more. So no, nothing could tempt me back now, frankly. I enjoy doing little forays, working on little projects but to come back full-time and try to do it, no, I'm not interested in it anymore. That concludes this week's episode of Life After Advertising. To stay on top of trends, learn to reskill and upskill your capabilities and grow your professional network, head to www.marketing-interactive.com. We'll see you there.